The Ipcus File TV series is now showing in some countries and will show in the U.S. on AMC+. And stars Joe Cole as Harry Palmer, Tom Hollander as Major Dalby, Lucy Boynton as Jean Courtney, David Densick as Colonel Stock, and other great cast members as well. And today, our guest is Stephen Salzman. Now, Stephen Salzman is, of course, the son of Harry Salzman, who co-produced the first nine Ian production James Bond movies. But Harry Saltzman, in the mid-1960s, also produced the first three Harry Palmer movies based on Len Dayton's book, The Ipcus File, Funeral in Berlin, and Billion Dollar Brain. Now, Stephen is an executive producer of the six-part TV series that is out now, The Ipcus File. So there's the connection. Welcome to our show, Stephen. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you, and especially to be back to Chicago, one of my favorite cities in the world. And I understand you like spies there. Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> All right. We've been fortunate enough to preview the episodes, and we think they're terrific. And that any spy fan, any Lynn Dayton fan, any Harry Palmer fan should watch this series. So, Stephen, tell us how you first became involved in becoming the executive producer of this ITV series, The Ipcris File. Well, usually you know these things start with a phone call. Uh-huh. And I got a phone call from Altitude and one of my father's old friends, Sandy Lieberson. And actually, Barbara Broccoli's office called me from Eon and said, Sandy Lieberson, who's also an ex-partner of Alan Ladd, who died last week, wants to reach out to you, talk to you about Ipcrest file. And can we put you in touch? So Barbara got my permission and they reached me. And I was in Monaco at the time. As you may or may not know, Harry Palmer was created by my father, yep. not actually Len Dayton, because Harry Palmer doesn't exist in any of the books of Len Dayton. Right, it didn't so have a name. That, <laughs> that's correct. So the reality was, they reached out to me, and originally it was going to be a film, and uh, they wanted to remake the film. And about six months into the process, I received uh, indication that given the way in which the world was going, specifically with a desperate need for content for streamers, and the like. They wanted to know if I would have an objection that instead of actually redoing Ipcrest File as a movie, they would actually make it a six-part series with a deeper story arc to actually go as deep as the book and do things. You can do things in television you can't really do in a, uh, an hour and a half film. Yes. So you can actually delve into a character uh-huh. and as you have seen, and yes. I don't know if we're allowed to give any of this stuff away, nope. but as all six episodes are actually available for streaming already, yes. I can say the focus was to get a little bit into the psyche of Harry Palmer as to why he actually wanted to do what he was doing. And as you saw, we tell with things like PTSD, we delve into his backstory. Mm-hmm. And um, those things are, in my mind, vital for allowing you to have a creative, a proper story arc. And yes. it was really helpful for us, the viewer. I, I really liked that. Yeah, the backstory was terrific and so well, well done. Beautiful. How many episodes have you seen, Dan and Tom? I've seen all six. Yeah. Okay. So I will explain something to you, which was, first of all, the key element for me was not to let anybody think we were doing a, a cheap version of James Bond. And from day one, Dad took the view that James Bond and Harry Palmer were two distinct types of characters. If I could say that one, James Bond was maybe more of a character who was uh, non-fiction, whereas Harry Palmer always was set in 
believability and credibility. He was a working spy, mm. working for the government with a paycheck and a salary and had the same kind of problems that you and I have about transportation, yeah. about jobs, about finding the girl. And I think I said from the very beginning that as I, I really want to cherish my father's legacy and what he did there and my family's legacy was to make sure there was no overlap and nobody could say, oh, he was a, he was, this is a, a, a version of Bond. Because it really was important the two were separated. Yeah. And I think they absolutely are here. Yeah. Terrifically done, too. I mean, Harry Palmer really is a guy in this series that you think, hey, I don't want to work weekends. I don't want to. No, I'm a regular guy. I'm a, I'm a guy, like you said, uh, Stephen, with all of the normal problems of regular people. So to me, we actually have a triple ante. So they had said that Harry Palmer was supposed to be the anti-Bond. And to me, that Joe Cole's portrayal of Harry Palmer was an anti-Michael Caine, but it wasn't a James Bond. (laughs) I think that's a very interesting point, but I will say something to you else. And perhaps I shouldn't say this, but I will anyhow. (laughs) We shot it in order. In other words, pretty much what you see was shot sequentially. So as you know, I'm sure you noticed, as the episodes went on and on, there was a more comfort in Joe's portrayal. Yes. He actually yes. got into the vibe. <laughs> and I actually think he did not do an impersonation of Michael Caine at all. Not I at think all. he tried to make it himself. We took the view that we had to have something that was current for today. And as you can see, the same baddies are still the same baddies today. <laughs> this was by, by completely by accident, but that's interesting. The, the reaction is that I need the story to be coherent for somebody who started today and never saw the first If Crest File or Harry Palmer or Funeral Berlin yes. or Billion Dollar Brain. I needed to create something that stood alone today. And um, I feel to a large degree the team did it. Yes. I also needed to, to acknowledge the fact that UK or the English is a very class conscious. And depending where you went to school, and depending on which family you came from, as you can see by Lucy Boynton versus Joe Cole and the relationship between Dolby, who you immediately know is without question the, the, the chief executive of the situation, yeah. right. I absolutely felt it was vital to make sure that we kept in touch with this concept of class consciousness, which is why uh, Hodge, who did Train Spotting, which is really a story in the same vein about class and where you come from was sensitive to this concept of over-excelling when you shouldn't ex- over-excel. As he, you heard the lines in the script, in certain times he said it shouldn't be allowed that he got a first in Cambridge or a mathematics. How is that possible? The son of a docker. The reality is that was something that was vital to give people a sense that the underdog can actually excel. Mm-hmm. Well, and you even see that too with Gene's character. Right, and I guess even I Maddox, because because both of those, you know, both of those characters come from classes that are, especially in the '60s, wouldn't have as, as had as many breaks. Yeah, yeah. Look, Tom, there is no question that if you put just in the '60s, which is exactly what we did, and I think to a large degree we succeeded in being faithful to that epoch. There was a real glass ceiling for ladies, mm-hmm. and I, and there was a glass ceiling for people of color. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And that's why you hear Maddox say, you didn't expect a black guy to want you to listen to the blues or whatever he said to him when we were in the theater in Croatia and they were yep. filming the scene of the American embassy. My feeling really is that that was the era 
And as the audience was going to be important in America, I wanted to capture the fact that, in fact, this is a period when it was difficult being a black person. It was difficult being taken seriously as a young woman. And as you saw with the way we dealt with Alice, for instance, Mm -hmm. we made sure that we were surprising everybody by the role of the women, especially the nurses, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you look and you think back about it, we empowered women from day one, not because we thought it was a cool trick, but because we felt they were underrepresented in society in the 60s. Yes, for sure they were. And it came out well. Yeah, yeah. And you could see that, and it permeates really the entire series, and that's that's really cool. So, well, you also you also had to do an interesting balancing act there between having that come out and not sounding preachy, and I yeah. think you achieved that. Well, I appreciate that, but I think also one of the big surprises for me was the blossoming of Lucy Boynton, who, in my mind, is magnetic on stage. Yes, she is. And when you see her on set, and you you just know that there is a sense of um, exquisite mastery of the art of, of performance. And um, I can't take my eyes off her. Yeah. yeah. She was terrific. Her facial expressions, she she said so much without saying a word sometimes. She was well, and her costuming awesome. was fabulous, too. Yeah, all the costuming. That, 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 there's a whole story about that, because we went vintage. <laughs> we really felt that as we couldn't have the budget to build sets and to do what other productions can do we had to do things in locations where existed i love it we could actually dress things and respect the era from the point of view of fashion but the telegraph in england this week ran an article about how the 60s fashion has been reinvigorated by the ipcrest file wow. and i don't know if you know this but the ipcrest file was put side by side peaky blinders now joe no longer was in peaky blinders yeah, but they right. ran it side by side and they beat him in the ratings when they aired it this weekend so i, th- I thought that was a really ballsy yeah. decision <laughs> yeah that was... well it wasn't it was certainly wasn't the decision of it it was the decision of the bbc okay. but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the proof is in the pudding and i hope and i'll know next week but i hope that people will come back and want to hear the next story but you know television is very strange now because you can look at it and, and binge it like I knew you were able to do it. Yep. Or you can watch it terrestrially every week. Yep. So they measure things across a period of five days and they give credit for whatever's watched. But I can tell you they were very happy with the ratings. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, I would imagine. You know, I, I'm sure you got outliers one way or the other say things that are not so good, but predominantly the reaction has been by the way, tremendous. Uh, sorry, sorry, Dan. Dan, that point you just made is very important. Yep. So most of the things that were negative, and I, I went round looking and down Twitter, sure. looking every place, because it allows me to be a better producer. Yeah. The, the bulk of the negatives to say was, Joe Cole is not Michael Caine, was most of the criticism. Yeah, yeah. Michael Caine was much better as Harry Palmer. Yeah, but that was 1964. Yeah, yeah. You know? And well, I need something that's that today. And then when I looked and I looked at Twitter, and by the way, you should look at Twitter. Just type in it, Chris File on Twitter, and you'll yeah. get all the comments. Most people say he got better and better and better. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I think he really did. Yes. Um, well, see, now it's funny. You, it's funny you say that yeah. because to me it was character development. But here he was in prison. You know, I, and I look at it from the character, not the actor. The character grew into the role because he comes from being this prisoner and into I'm doing the spy thing and getting more confidence with that. 
And that was how I looked at it. I didn't look at it as Joel emerging. I just thought he was doing a good job showing the the growth of the character. I think that's very interesting. I think also you have a character who was basically in dead-end street prison, and he knew he had to use the same street smarts he used for trading lobsters and for uh, contraband. Actually, he was the contraband, and he knew when he asked her, he said, what are you here for? He realized that he was the currency of himself, and he had the power himself to actually improve his situation. Yeah, and um, that was the moment. Stephen, that was was. the moment I think you see, even in the the very first episode, where he makes that transformation, where he's totally out of control in the prison, and when Dalby approaches him, and then you see that moment where he, he realizes it. He has power now. And what he has done can help him empower himself. I I think you are constantly surprised at the depth of his resources, specifically when he went back and he he hid the key under the the rug. And that scene when he realized that man in front of him, Dolby, was perhaps a little bit (laughs) underestimated by him. And he pulled back the locker drawer and he's there and said, give me the passport. And then he says, can I have my money at some point? And all, I also think there is a kind of a human frailty to the condition of how Dolby, who is definitely loyal to King and Country, had a moment of what I would call uh, questioning himself because he fell in love. Mm-hmm. And um, I think all that scene is very credible as opposed to shooting somebody up after you kissed them. Yes, And I think that demonstrates, I mean, I think, I don't think anyone could confuse Harry Palmer with a James Bond movie. No. But it's a bit like Crest and Colgate. They both are toothpicks. You know what I mean? (laughs) These are both spy movies. Yeah. But they're not actually the same type. One is believable and one is incredible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the difference here. And I think some people, they wrestle with that because they're used to the Bond stuff and whatever. And I think this is the beauty of the series is that it shows this as a different option in the spy world. And it's, it's a real option. And it comes across as a real option that this is real life stuff. I like it. Loved it. (laughs) I I like, I'd like the scene in the church when they come out of church and Colonel Stock tells Cole, he didn't really love him, love her. Yeah. yeah. But he was in a relationship with her. Yes. But he had to say, and there's a lot of parallels in the fact that he was this hardened KGB general who basically he got the relationship got under his skin, and um, I think there was a lot of a lot of realities there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so you talk, I, you talk I, about I, you talk about an anti-bond. I mean, stock was an anti-stock from what we saw in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. the movie versus now. Especially in Funeral Berlin. Yes. Yep. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, he, he was special. Oscar was terrific in that, too. But different character, different kind of character. So after all these decades from the 60s with Michael Caine to now, why was this the right time to bring Harry Palmer back to the public in this series? Well... You know, that's a really interesting question. It turned out to be pretty good timing. Um, But I also felt the story had not really been told. If you read the book, you get a lot of background. But most people saw the movie and didn't read the book. And I felt there was a lot of material. But I can tell you, 
without saying who they were, that several people had attempted prior to the final shooting script to write it, and they just couldn't break the back. And there were a lot of actors as well that wanted to do the role and just would not take the role due to the fact they didn't want to be compared to Michael Caine's performance. Uh-huh. The same thing happened with the scriptwriters. It was really difficult for them to actually say, we'll take the source material and turn it into a credible entertainment spy movie or spy series for television and do it in today's world as opposed to doing a pastiche of the past. And we waited maybe a year and we had to fire different writers who just couldn't break, couldn't do it. They just gave up. And, you know, rather than take a a bad script, which is never a good idea, by the way. (laughs) um, I mean, really, at the end of the day, the written word is everything. There is absolutely, it was vital for us to actually get something that was coherent and based upon something that could garner an audience today. Wow. That's an interesting story with the writers and and how long it takes and the different actors who who didn't want to do this kind of thing and and how you successfully disassociated really Joe Cole's role as Harry Palmer with Michael Caine's. Tom and I were talking earlier that we, we watched it and we didn't think, oh, we missed Michael Caine. <laughs> we, right. we thought Joe was doing such a good job that, hey, we didn't even think of Michael Caine. That's good. That's brilliant. Did you like episode six? I did not see six yet. I'm waiting because you told you told me t- uh, this morning, I think, sometime that here's this this article on episode six and it's going to be different. Tom saw it. I didn't want to see yeah. it yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so I'll, I'll try to couch my answer so I don't give anything away to Dan or anybody. <laughs> yeah, or anybody. But for me, episode six, I saw that and I was like, "There's no way they could have put what you guys did for the ending in the TV series." in the movie at the time that the movie came out. And I agree with that, and especially because of what happened in 63. But I right. will say, and I'm sure you agree with me, that there were two great moments that recognized the original film. That was the coffee scene in, in episode yes. one, yeah. and yeah. was the, what I would say the dispatch in episode six. The dispatch? Dispatch, as in oh. the acting of, of Joe Cole yes. in, okay. in his actions. Okay. Yes. Is that clear? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I, I would agree with you that there. Was, yeah. And that was 100% done specifically as a recognition of the origin of what we were doing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. well, you had you had that, you had the glasses. The, the, and the, the glasses and the blur. Yeah. 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 His vision and of the woman like on, on the bed, blurry, and he puts his glasses on and it becomes clear. Yeah. That, yeah. All st- that was terrific. That was cut last week on the ITV for some reason. I didn't know why they cut that. Oh, it was on the, it was on what it I was on. We, we saw it. I know, but it was not on the, not on the, on the broadcast. Oh, Oh my okay. God. Really? Oh, that was, right. I, I, I liked it. I did too. And immediately I must tell you immediately I called and said, why did we cut that scene? Good. There is a, there is a thing that's important here. And that is that this whole series had to be coherent for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, needed to actually. I always called it. It's like the crown with spies. I mean, it really is the, a, a period piece. Yes, it's a period piece, and yet I wanted people to feel the cordite in the back of the throat. I wanted them to feel menace and threat. I wanted mm-hmm. them to feel the peril of 
going across the wall. Yeah. I want them to feel that they are likely to get killed. And I really wanted the, the, the character of Harry Palmer to actually feel threatened. Because if you think about Bond, with the exception of the last Bond, yes. uh, Bond has always just been able to do a Batman and get out of anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I actually felt that the strength of, of Harry was that there's nothing he was asked to do that didn't seem credible. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's that's Harry. Also, I would say Maddox. And I said for, for the episode six, I don't think episode six you could have done back in 65, but Maddox's character was very on point with his background and why he and what, had, what about the evangelical general? I, I was actually, upset when he's when he gets upset when he's told by the administration that he can't build nuclear weapons he wants to. Well, yeah, that that, that that seemed on point too. That's true. But I just I just love Maddox's story there because at the time when that book came out, that was hot. I mean, you took that story that was totally period from what happened in his backstory. And again, for those of you who haven't seen this yet, you'll get it. I, I, I was I thought that was that was fab, fabulous as well. Yeah, I actually feel that you have the benefit of time passing allows us to do things in this story that as you so well put point out we couldn't have necessarily done 65 or 64 but i would say also i don't think you do live and let die today that's true yeah that's true. i mean i mean it would be viewed as totally non-politically correct yes right. yes right yeah mm-hmm. there's a lot of things today you couldn't do uh, that were done in the 60s and but like vice versa too like there's some things that you're doing now that, like Tom said, couldn't have done then. So this is exciting. And I think you've you've said what the important pieces are here when you said it all started from writing, right? That writing was the basis of the whole thing. But obviously getting the cast together, getting the directors together, as you said, was, was tough. You had to go through a process and a long process to do that. So as your role as an executive producer what kinds of things do you do and what did you get involved in here it's always interesting to to know that i think people would love to hear it well as this was filmed during covid yeah you couldn't actually be on a set so what would happen is we would film something i'd see all the call sheets i'd see the scripts i knew all the paperwork that was being done Uh and i knew what they're filming and where they were and then we would get three or four days later the actual dailies or the rushes which allows us to see the bits and pieces that had just been filmed earlier that week and then we would send our comments for performance and um, filming back to the crew so one of the comments that I've seen pretty widely in maybe three or four places is they say you can clearly see this was shot during COVID restrictions because of social distancing of some of the characters but it was very difficult because we had to socially have to develop a new way to film and to actually produce because the producers, none of us were able to be on the set. Wow. Uh, there is a, there was such a, a COVID our fear was any member of the cast catching COVID before their acting was complete. Because then what do you do? If Joe Cole or Hollander catches COVID, yeah. you can't replace him. So we were so sacrosanct about the way in which we kept the COVID bubbles to protect 
everyone from getting infections, that we would had to develop a new way to film. Mm-hmm. And that was really a very, very small group. And if you look, because you'll be able to tell when you look at the film, we had two cameras shooting two angles of every scene so that we could actually have the choice of where we want to take it. But it was extraordinarily complex because none of us had actually made films this way before. Usually you're there, you can talk right now, then and there, but we were one step removed and it required us to actually um, really, it, it felt like gardening with rubber gloves. <laughs> so did you have to did, wow. were there then lots of retakes you get you see the dailies and you're like yeah that's not going to work and we've got to redo that or yeah did it extend I mean, the not, process i i would say it certainly did i drove to croatia and um i i'm actually visible but they, the scene i did was cut out i was actually in a scene in the lebanese souk as a market store holder and um what i can tell you is that there is a it was an ensemble effort, and um, they had to learn to make films in COVID times. Wow! Which is interesting when it's you cool. think about the theater scene when they're in the when they're the, the the nightclub scene. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Because that didn't look like there were distancing in there. That was shot in Croatia, right okay. in the beginning of the trip from Liverpool to Croatia, and um, if you look on the outside. It was a Turkish restaurant takeaway, and he was playing backgammon as well outside first with the the owner, the, the cook or the chef or whatever. And it was the same place. But I, between you and me, I thought the scenes of hopefully Berlin uh, behind the wall and in front of the wall were extremely well represented in Croatia. I, I was quite, I was quite surprised. And the inside set that most surprised me, or two inside sets the most surprised me, I love the Air Force base, military base in Croatia, which really mm-hmm. was very useful. And I loved this theater that was tricked out to be the American embassy in the UK. Wow, that's cool. Because that was, that was a, a theater in Croatia. It looked empire, it looked really federal, and it looked like Grosvenor Square in London. I mean, I've been inside Grosvenor Square, and it was just, it just worked well. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I actually think Maddox is a phenomenal actor, and I love his voice. I love the way he, he's a DJ, you know. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, By the way, are you aware that one or two of the characters in this ep- television episodes was in Die Another Day? Stock. Stock. That was no time to die. Not die another day. Oh yeah, no time to that's die. Right, no man. time to die. That's okay. that's what. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, okay, I mean, right. yeah okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. David Densick. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, another little Bond connection there. I sat with Barbara. Yeah, I'll tell you this. I sat with Barbara before we started production because at the end of the day, Barbara put me in touch with them right. to do it. Yeah. So I thought that was a great thing. Yes. And I also grateful Barbara sent me a message the week before telling me how pleased she was. She'd seen the trailers. And it couldn't have been more cordial and kind. Remember, I've grown up with Barbara from day one. Yes. But I had a bit of anxiety because, as you know, my sister died when she co-produced the first four years with me. Yes. Because before we actually went before cameras, we did all the casting, all the scripts, or productions or the storyboards 
So there was an enormous amount of pre-production before first frame went through the camera. And um, I can say to you, Barbara specifically said to me, Stephen, you've got this, you've got to do this. And she was so supportive. And I know she was having her own um, challenges with COVID and the release of the picture and right. the fact they locked it and all the things that she did. But I can say that I only got really positive. Um, the whole Bond organization were extraordinarily positive about what I was doing and um, have been extremely cordial since it came out last week. Yeah, that's, that's great fantastic. to hear. That's terrific yeah. to hear because yeah. that that's a we're a family. Yeah, we're that's family. a first class organization there. But that's yeah, so nice yeah. to hear. And everybody you talk to who's worked on Bond always says it's a family. Yeah, so, it just is. It's yeah. just terrific. I mean, to hear. It just is. You know. All right. I can tell you. Okay, now I'm going to say something with you. You've got to understand that the time when Bond was out, the idea of my father making this film was not enormously well received by looked at as competition family. right yeah right, right but that is not the case today in any stretch of the imagination and um i think when you look at the two things side by side the only thing that linked them and they're both spy stories yeah different products but i i really don't think there's really competition at all you know people want to go see james bond by all means they should yes and if people want to see a story like uh think of Taylor Soldier Spy or Spy These People, whatever it is, they will go and see a different thing. I think the Harry Palmer series and the Harry Palmer character is completely different to James Bond. Absolutely. No question. Different product. You know. But interesting in its own way, right? So, like you're saying, it's not really competition. It actually expands no. the pie, really. When I think about the actual storyline that we are selling in Ipcrest file it's all remarkably believable mm-hmm. none yes. of it is yes. super real it's, there's no uh, flying disappearing cars there's no green screens it's all shot as you see it I honestly feel that it's a real it's a tale and given the situation today in the world historically and factually it's almost newsy you know, there's a kind of sense that can you believe that the baddies were the baddies in 64 are still the same baddies we have today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Isn't that so, something? That's very true. And it's, not, it's a bit sad, but the same token, uh, we only are kind of mirroring the, the crisis of today is really the same crisis back in 64 that they did. Nuclear annihilation, yeah. uh, mystery, mystery behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. What are the Russians up to? Those are the same questions that we have right now, today. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Very topical. <laughs> same issues, right? So, I, you said something earlier that I want to go back on. When did you guys start working on this at all? Because, I mean, you talked about um, that. It's been a while. To be honest with you, five years ago. Okay. Huh? Okay. This wow. started in five years ago at a breakfast in Soho in London when I was called up after this phone call, I went to meet Will Clark at a meeting. And what we have today and what we discussed then is quite separate because we really have now got a, um, a show that is much more thought through. At the time, the idea was let's take and make a press file, the motion picture, 
and reboot it with another version of the same film. Yeah. Now I believe we have six episodes of really good television. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, one thing that really made me happy about this being a TV series and the time that you, the fact that you could develop things more is we got to see the Atoll. I mean, when I read that in the book, my mind was going all over the place as I read that whole thing about going out to the Atoll and all the stuff that happened there. And you couldn't do everything, but yeah. still, it was great that you guys were there. You kept enough of what was there in the book that I was just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, and the much deeper well, character development, too, that you have the option for in the series versus the movie. Ah, terrific. That, that, that part was and that fun. Relationship, and, when, and Dolby told, uh, when Dolby told Palmer, find this out one way or another, and the other was the psychiatrist and the relationship and they were playing pool and they were there at all. And there was a jealousy that you could see between the general, the, the, the sergeant who came around and tried to catch um, Palmer out. Yep. And then even the torture scene. I want to tell you something. That was one of the things, all the stuff with hoses. I mean, I didn't, Joe just excelled in that. Because oh, it was great. Wet. Yeah. And I wanted people to feel the sense of, drowning, waterboarding. Yeah. And when he's told the next time this opens up, you're going to be down at the bottom of the sea. And all of a sudden you're asking the big question, who are the baddies? Where are the Russians in all this? Yeah. What's really going on? Who's, what is my friend, my enemy? I wanted to really make people ask questions. Yes. Yeah. yeah and that was unfortunately, since I'd seen the movie and the book, you kind of knew the answer to that. Which was which was a little unfortunate because you know with the big tw the twist that happens there, because it was done well, but it was like yeah I know where this is going already. Yeah, but when it's done well, I think that's exactly yeah. what it does, Stephen. Right? It makes you as a viewer question what's happening, wonder what's happening and why it's happening, where people are, what's going on, and I think that's that's the drama of it is that you can create that through the screen. <laughs> that's like a miracle. That's yes. that's the brilliant stuff that's done. And that's the writing, the acting, the my, sets, the everything. My father always used to say, a man with two watches never knows what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And, and really, uh, there's a moment, I think it's towards the end of episode four or beginning of five, where you have to sit down and you say, who are the goodies, who are the baddies? Who do I want to root for? Who's the underdog? But I don't think at any moment, especially when you see Lucy really going up part Dolby and saying, where's Harry? And mm -hmm. Harry, and Dolby kind of says, well, he's kind of expendable. Why do you care? You know, and you realize there's a kind of magnetic chemistry that developed between them. Because remember, uh, uh, Harry learns the actual spycraft from Gene. And, um, He's actually quite good at it because Dolby even notices this yes. that scene with the x-rays where he all of a sudden says, now this guy has dental work that was made in America, whatever. And you actually see that he starts putting the shoes on and gets in the coat. And he all of a sudden, he realizes he's quite cut out for this kind of job, especially, yeah. for instance, when he sees Randall in the second episode with the antenna in the car. Remember, this is before the internet and... Yes. And he had the IED and all this thing, and he's able to recognize. And yes, that scene, yes, that was a brilliant way, when, scene. Jumps on yeah, the and, also, and, that, and that scene when the lady calls Randall, 
who uh, they who fed tea to all of them beforehand, yeah. and it turns out that she's awful. I think Alice is quite amazing, especially as an assassin. Yeah. yeah. But he warns her. He says in, in episode one, he said she took a, a Luger from an SAS, uh, from a SS uh, stormtrooper in World War Two. Remember, this is all set just after the war. Right. It's quite right. austere. It's quite austere. Yes. It's yes. quite. It, it's grey. Colour has not come in. And so when you see someone, Lucy, who clearly comes from good stock and is dressed well and carries herself off, you know, I've had so many people say, I want to talk to Lucy, I want to talk to Lucy, she's so hot. I predict Lucy is a magnificent star and that she is going to go shooting across the sky as a result of this performance. Well, she was phenomenal in this. Yes, yeah. yes. She, she can't is. can't take her eyes off her. Right. She is tremendous in every scene. She's just that good. So you're you're right. I think she's she's going to be a, a shooting star. Yep, absolutely. absolutely awesome. Well, guys, actually, there were two things I wanted to just say to you. First one is I love the callback to the thirty nine steps with the guy with the missing finger. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was that was yeah. fabulous. That was great. We love that and, movie. We got a podcast then, episode on that too. <laughs> Great stuff. And then the other thing is, I want to comment on the cinematography to you because you talked about how we're trying to make this be something believable, mm. um, but it's a period piece. I watched the six episodes and then immediately watched your father's movie. Yeah. Back to back. And the cinematography in the TV series felt so much like it was a little brighter because the colors were a little brighter, but it felt so much like I was watching the 60s movie time frame in terms of the graininess and stuff i also felt what in the one of the um in one of the rushes the whole set everybody's waiting there the director of photography is on the blower and he's saying everyone hold off i want everyone to basically wait another 12 minutes until the cloud comes across because i want that light and everybody's sitting on the set and watching the rushes and literally everyone's waiting for the natural light i think you're right the photography and the, the director of photography did a marvelous job specifically using ambient light and wherever possible working with the images that were actually real as opposed to put in post yeah yeah yeah, yeah that part was authentic and it looked authentic like like we're all saying the the color palette and i i know what you're saying i think the costuming was bright and so on but the general shots and stuff they, they were gritty and muted and kind of the well, dirty I, I think gene needed the brightness because yeah, yeah, I mean, of her character yeah she's the show where she came because from whenever you come in you're right because every time she comes in the scene where she's wearing turquoise or yeah she's yeah exactly beautiful, you know she's she captures you yes. you know and when you compare her iridescence walking in to the uh, Stocks lover scene in episode one and she walks in she has pest control you can see you have a, a frumpy kind of like housewife how can this Russian fall in love with her yeah. and you have Jean come in she, she just steals the scene yes mm-hmm. <laughs> often <laughs> yes. and I also thought Tom Hollander did a master class oh, I really yes. thought Tom Hollander Fantastic. he looked like the boss every time he looked like and especially when he, he actually stood up against uh, ministers and administration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never seen him do anything bad. <laughs> he is no. always good. He was terrific in this from the beginning. You knew what he thought. You knew his character. 
immediately, and he was confident in himself and and what he knew, and he carried that out, and he was just awesome. You yeah, can't I say actually, anything. I actually, have, I actually disagree with you slightly. I don't think he knew what he thought. He, he knew what he wanted you to think he thought, okay. and that came out. Yeah, yeah. That, okay. I also think that's fair. One of the big challenges, guys, was how much we had to establish in episode one to be able to hang the next five episodes on. Yes, right. yes. You have to really start from ground zero. And That's the toughest mind, episode, right? Absolutely. From my mind, what we had to do was demonstrate an underdog character, Harry Palmer, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and make him somebody you want to champion. Yes. Because you want to cheer for him to win. Yes. But you first have to show him as somebody who is not considered at a level. And... Um, that was a real challenge for the writers yeah. and for the whole script to create episode one, make to create a character you want to root for. You, you want to well, make them like What I loved is that last, the, the, the last <laughs> shot, the last yeah. shot of episode one, yes. to me, said it on, all. On the, on the bus. When he's With got that uh, napkin or whatever yeah, it is, yeah, that he's got, and he's got and the yeah, 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 cup yeah. in it. And, he, and he's got this fingerprints. Yeah. You're like, this guy's got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's figured it out. <laughs> yeah. He's good. In, uh. in fact, in fact, that one of the challenges without question was to be able to go to breaks and the end of series and episodes with cliffhangers every time. Mm-hmm. Oh, one more thing I want to add. Okay. Yeah. I love the fact that we all agreed to make Harry a foodie. Yes. And as you saw, we didn't do the same thing that they did back then. Right. But we didn't go, he didn't go shopping for mushrooms, but he was interested in good coffee. He liked mm-hmm. egg Benedict. And yeah. we had that wonderful scene in the restaurant where he ate, and don't forget the best order when Dolby said, We'll have the best of everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Come on. My friend and come I will settle for the best of everything. <laughs> That's how Dan and I are. We want the best of everything. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> That's why we got you I on the show. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. You say the nice things. Hey, thanks, Stephen, for joining us today. This has been tremendous fun. This is terrific. A lot of great insights into the background on the Ipcris file. Thanks. Uh, thank you. And maybe you can watch it when you get it in America. At some point, it'll be I believe, on the AMC channel. Yeah, AMC Plus is getting it, and AMC. they're saying in the spring coming soon. I like the fact that you're ahead of the game at the Spy Movie Navigator. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's fun to be ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, I want to tell you one last secret. Okay. You are my first podcast. So. Well, we appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Ah, uh, Stephen, this has been terrific fun. We would love to have hey. you back again to talk about some Bond stuff. And your experience, I think that would be a fabulous story for uh, yes, everyone. I would, I would actually like that too. So Mom, wonderful to speak to you. Same here. It's fabulous. Yes. Yeah, thank you so much, Stephen. Appreciate it. We appreciate and it tremendously. Thank you so much. All the best. I'm glad you had a chance to see it. All right, ciao. Take Great. care. Thanks. Ciao. So, if anyone has any questions on the Ipcris File TV series or on the first nine James Bond movies that Stephen Saltzman's dad was involved in and Stephen knows a lot about, let us know because we're going to have Stephen back on a show. We'll yeah. ask him your questions, so just send us an email at dan at spymovienavigator.com and we'll assemble the questions and ask Stephen. So, terrific stuff. Again, 
Lots of fun having Steven on the show. That was fabulous. That was great. Yeah, it was. This has been Dan Silvestri. Tom Pizzotto. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Subscribe to our show today. Please share the info on our show with your friends through your own social media posts. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. And also, check us out on YouTube. Some fun videos. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it.